Thanks, Mario. Well, that's the exciting news uh, for us as a church. And one of the great joys, I think, of being a pastor is being able to celebrate the moments of us as a church working together and to sit back and see how people have been going. But there are times in the life of the church that I dread. And in some senses, this is one of them. It's a time where we've got to come together and think about things that really aren't working out the way that they should. I need to let you all know about uh, an email I received this week that I've been really trying to work out how to respond to. Uh, I got the pastors together and we deliberated over the best way to deal with this email's content. And we came to the conclusion that with the consent of the person who sent it, the best way for us to address its content is to actually spend a moment of it here all together as a church uh, tonight before we get into the Bible reading and the Word. Uh, The email was about us as a church. And this person's experience of us as a church. Uh, They'd heard about Auckland EV from a previous pastor and uh, they were told that Auckland EV was really the church to be at in Auckland. And they didn't expect us to be perfect and their experience of us as a church wasn't perfection, but they sort of saw us as a church at the beginning that was definitely growing. Growing in our love for God, growing in our love for one another and growing in our love for the lost. And to be honest, when I started reading the email, I was actually pretty encouraged. But then it started speaking about something that while we've been aware of it for a while, we hadn't seen the full extent of its impact. And as pastors, we felt like, given the clarity of what was shared in the email, that we needed to own the fact that we hadn't really dealt with it in the best way. The email outlined with pretty clear detail that a particular volunteer leader in our church who had some slightly different views to us in a couple of areas had been going around um, trying to do what they saw as helpful, wanting people to experience more of the love of God. They'd been encouraging others one-to-one, as the Bible tells us to do, but kind of forming a a group of people who saw themselves, I, I think, as a little more loving, a little better Christians than others, uh, free from the antiquated doctrines, perhaps, of the past. And seeing that God is love, they ended up covertly encouraging others in EV to see a different picture of God. What they saw was a better picture, a more loving picture, a picture that allowed more freedom, more autonomy in what we do. The email summarized what was actually going on like this, and I've removed the names, but I'm going to read it to you. The person in the church uh, who was going around doing this uh, views themselves as an expositor of God's Word, bringing what they think is a better picture of Christianity to many in your church. They use the guise of teaching the Word of God to gain influence as a respected Bible teacher, but actually deceive those they purport to love. I've had conversations with a number of their followers, inverted commas, and then list the names of people who they've spoken to. These people all seem to view what the Bible calls holiness as oppressive and antiquated. Their views on human sexuality and thriving jettison God's view of marriage and gender. Uh, They're looking at porn and thinking it's okay. They're spreading the idea that same-sex attraction is something that needs to be lived out because you need to be who you are. There are a growing number amongst your church for whom sex before marriage and sex outside of marriage are part of the norm. The movies they watch, the casual nature of crossing physical and emotional lines that should be reserved for marriage. There is a view amongst them of the excesses of the world, a focus on wealth and career, 
and in family and in my opinion is just plain idolatry. One of them even quoted to me 1 Timothy 4.4 saying everything created by God is good. Nothing should be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Others of this group put on an outward appearance of godliness. However, they are all talk. It is a slim veneer that looks like worshipping God on Sunday but has no impact on what is done outside of the healthy two times they go to church and connect group every week. This, mixed with a culture of drinking in excess, is, in my opinion, gangrene in your church. Now, I know for us that's really hard to hear, and for some of us that news will be shocking. I know there are many in our church who have not and are not actively living this way, and I wholeheartedly want to encourage you to continue serving Jesus here at EV until He returns. But the reason that I just felt like we had to bring it to your attention was because that email was from Jesus. And he said it in Revelation 2 and 3. And we're going to read that together now. Hi, Uni Church. My name's Chris. Let us open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. For those of you who don't have a Bible, raise your hand and the people on the welcoming team will hand you a copy. If you don't own one, please give, uh, keep it as a gift from us. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. 
be alert and strengthen what remains which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people inside us who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white, because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, Chris. Uh, the illustration that I just gave was entirely made up and not about people in our church. Uh, although, I hope it helped you to read those two passages of Scripture in a way that God intended us to hear them. With the seriousness in which God intended these letters to be passed around the churches, for I'm sure there'll be many of us like me that at points felt like that word was speaking to us. So I want to pray with you now that God would help us to hear what he has to say and to respond with great joy. Let's pray. Lord God, tonight as we come to your word, we thank you for the opportunity to hear it as it is your word to us. We ask that you'd show us how great you are and help us to see the world through your eyes and that by your spirit and through your word, you would help us to, to serve you with our all and to come away seeing where we need to change. We thank you for your word in the name of your son. Amen. Well, tonight, the first thing I want us to see from these two passages together, and the first point, if you want to write it in your outline, is that Jesus knows and sees everything. Jesus knows and sees everything. Come with me, chapter 2, verse 18. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like bronze. I know your works. And chapter 3, verse 1, Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. Jesus knows and sees everything. And that's what he wants us to know about him in these two letters. Now, the picture of Jesus we get is the picture of Jesus who knows and sees everything. The seven spirits of God really is a picture of God the Spirit. Uh, seven is this number of completion. Uh, and here we're seeing the completeness of God the Spirit comes. The breath of God comes in Jesus as we hear his word, as we meet him. Now, the seven stars, the start of Revelation tells us, are the angels to the seven churches. And really what Jesus is saying in chapter 3 here is that he speaks with the breath of God as the Son of God. Do you know, it's the only time in the book of Revelation that Jesus describes himself as the Son of God. And here are the ones who holds the messengers to the churches, who speaks all, who knows all. And he identifies himself as the Son of God. The picture he paints is a scary one, I think. I'm pretty sure that um, Tolkien and Peter Jackson were reading through Revelation 2 and 3 when they were thinking about how they'd kind of describe the Eye of Sauron, right? If, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, that big eyeball that's always watching, always looking and seeing what's going on, here Jesus describes himself as one with flaming eyes. 
eyes that see all and know all. But they're not angry, kind of pouring out some form of unjustified anger on the world around us, not trying to venge some kind of horrible, evil kind of plan. It's what Jesus sees that angers him. Because he sees all and he knows all. You've only got to look at the news for five minutes to see the mess that our world is in, right? The rejection of what is good, the rejection of God. Imagine for a moment seeing into the hearts and minds of what everyone in the world was thinking, let alone what they do. Imagine seeing the thoughts and the motivations of, of, of people in front of you. Imagine others seeing the thoughts and motivations of you. Jesus sees all and knows all. As he looks into this church at Thyatira, he reminds them and us, he sees everything. There is not one bit of someone's thoughts, actions, deeds, motivations, character that he cannot see. Each week we've been looking at the seven letters to these seven churches and we've been seeing more and more of what Jesus is like, how he describes himself. And there's a key point for us in this. We must not consolidate Jesus down to just the bits we like about him. We must not view Jesus as just, well, he's the, he's the loving one. He's just all love. We must not kind of dress him up with fluffy you know, um, Easter bunny ears and say, oh, Jesus is just nice and cute and he's my friend and he's going to come along at Easter and I'm going to pat him and he's going to bring me great treats. We actually need to let him be who he is. Yes, he absolutely loves us. He willingly came and laid down his life for us while we wanted nothing to do with him. But he's also just. He will not allow evil to go on forever. He also sees all and knows all and he will bring his judgment. And justice will be delivered. We must see him as he is, not as we would like him to be. The first warning of this passage that we come to today is this. Do not think you can pull the wool over the eyes of Jesus. Do not think that any thought or word or action or motivation is out of his sight, like you can somehow hide from him. There's a great Old Testament prophet that tried that. His name was Jonah. Uh, Jonah had been told by God to go and speak to the Ninevites and tell them that God's judgment was coming. But he's like, I can hide from God. So he jumps in a boat, goes the opposite direction. God sends this massive storm, huge waves. All the seasoned sailors on board are freaking out. The captain kind of comes and says, all right, everyone, I don't care what God you have, whose God you have. Everyone's going to start praying to their God. Start praying. Whatever one's going to work, stop this storm. Where's Jonah? Asleep. They wake him up and he's like, oh, yeah, that's me. My God told me to do something and I'm not doing it. They're like, what are you doing? And they're like, throw everything overboard. Actually, just throw me overboard. He, he gets thrown overboard. It stops. Eaten by a whale. The whale then takes him and spits him out on the beach and sends him in the right direction where finally he does what God says. Do you really think you can hide from God? <laughs> Jonah found he couldn't. And what Jesus is saying is that you cannot hide from my gaze, I see everything. We might be able to hide from the government, from our parents, from our spouse, from our friends and family. But you cannot hide from God. Now on one level, that's quite scary, isn't it? But on another level, there's something about that that is so good, so encouraging. 
It means that what we do in this world, how we speak, what we think, how we act, matters because it's seen by God. He sees our good works. God is not, as Islam says, weighing our good versus our bad to see if we're good enough for Him. God knows there is no one good enough for Him. There's no one who can live life rightly. That's why He's offered us His Son. That's why Jesus died on the cross. But He sees our good actions. Listen to what He says in verse 19 of chapter 2. I know your works, He says to this church, your love, your faithfulness, your service and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. It can be so tempting in life, can't it? To think that what we do doesn't matter. It isn't seen. No one really sees my thought thought life. No one knows what's going through my head, my attitude towards others, even before that's acted out or expressed. But God says He sees. It matters. For those that express the reality of His character in love, in faithfulness, in service, in endurance, He's like, well done. This is good. I see it. It's worth it. No matter who else in the world sees the way we live, God does. And He sees these things as good. To make sure we keep loving. To make sure we're faithful in in taking God at His word and and, and keep on putting Him first. To ensure that we, we sacrificially keep serving for His glory and to keep going. Now I have to say from the outside of what I see here at Uni Church, I see a church that loves Jesus. A church very much like this. People who, who love Him and want people to come to know Jesus. People who are excited to invite others along to hear the news of what Jesus has done. People who are faithful to the Word of God and want to sit under God's Word and let it shape their lives. Who sacrificially serve each week to drive a van here, to bring all our gear in, to set up, to be able to do music. And then some people even are serving at one of our morning campuses, seeing kids' church go on. And then other people will come along here that have been serving at those morning campuses so they can hear the Word of God here. There's people who are leading connect groups, who are doing prep and listening to videos of Ben throughout the week. And just be thankful it's not me as well. Like there's a whole heap of sacrifice these guys are going through to kind of lead us and not just say what we want to hear as connect group leaders, but to actually help us put Jesus first. I see it, uh, people who are going into their jobs and going into the university and sharing Jesus with their colleagues. There are so many different areas where I stand back and I go, this is encouraging. Jesus' reminder is, none of this goes unseen. It doesn't make us any better before God, because really it's just Jesus working in us and through us with the gifts He's given us. But it does please Him. When we cooperate with Him and live His way in the world because He sees it all. So when Satan whispers in your ear, it's not worth it. Don't worry about the way you think. No one sees it. It's okay to look at that thing. You're not actually, it's not a real person. It's okay. Just just keep going that direction. No one will actually see what happens. No one will see what happens with your taxes or, or where you actually were. That lie doesn't really matter. You can say, get behind me, Satan. Because there is one who sees. And his name is Jesus. And I serve him. He sees my thoughts. He sees it all. And I love him because he has loved me. And I will live for him. The encouragement to the church at Thyatira is that their last works are greater than their first. Did you hear that? They're a church who really is living out the reality that their best years as Christians are ahead of them. 
It's one of the phrases we use here at EV and at UniChurch. But as we keep being made more and more like Jesus, we'll keep serving Him more and more and being made into His likeness more and more. And so as we kind of continue through, we should be coming, be becoming more and more like Jesus. Our best years as Christians are in front of us. They're on a good trajectory. They're a church that is growing. And to the church in Sardis, Jesus speaks, albeit briefly, about the goodness of their reputation. In chapter 3, we saw that they're, they're a church known as a, as a, as a good Bible-teaching, gospel-centered, people-loving, actively-serving church. Right? They've got a great reputation. They're even on the Gospel Coalition Church Finder list. You can go along, they're, they're a legit Gospel Coalition church. You, know? you jump on Google and they've got five-star reviews of people going, this church is friendly, this is the church to go to to get trained, these guys love Jesus, they love the Bible. You're like, yeah, they've got an awesome reputation. There's a sense when we read these letters where you can see some similarities with these two churches and with us as a church. There's some great things, some great love, a great reputation that is there that the others have seen. But I wonder as if, as the transparency is turned up on these two churches, I wonder if you, like me, want to hide from the piercing gaze of Jesus. As I read that imaginary letter before the Bible reading today, as I spoke of the issues raised in these two letters of Revelation 2 and 3, and just applied them in a general way, not with any specific person or anything in my mind, but kind of went, how, how could these things play out in our church? Did you feel the gaze of God on your life? Thinking like, oh, He does see us. Well, I didn't have any specific situations in mind or people in mind as I said that. Jesus may have. So if something that I said you felt your conscience pricked by, do test it against the Scriptures. Do work out, is, is this what God is saying to me in His Word? Are these ways that I have pushed Jesus aside? Don't go away and forget what God's Word says. But the thing that it reminded me is that Jesus sees everything. Not only does he see everything, Jesus warns us. And that's point number two. Jesus warns. The church in chapter three has a reputation for being alive. But when it's met by the gaze of Jesus, did you notice what happens? He pronounces it dead. Look at three verse one. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Now, while we love our five-star reviews and the reputation of the world around us, individually or as a church, did you feel the ouch in that? You are dead. It's worth asking today, in what ways... Are we like these two churches? Don't come to this passage trying to defend EV or defend yourself. Ask God by His Spirit to keep showing you in any ways that you or I are like this. To press in on our hearts. To see where we're in grave danger. Because we need to keep asking ourselves, am I the person? Am I the person who looks like I'm on fire for Jesus? Who has a reputation for being on fire for Jesus, but really, I'm just wearing a $2 costume from Look Sharp, pretending to be a fireman. <laughs> and everyone around's like, whoa, you go to church and you come to Connect Group and you open the Bible up and you say great things, but you know that when you leave church and Connect Group, you live a totally different life. 
You take off that outside veneer and you live a life that's indistinguishable from the lives of the world around us. Do not be like this as a church. Do not be like this as a person. Ask yourself, am I the person who doesn't think about what works God wants me to complete? Do I get up thinking, what has God got for me today? How am I going to live out who He's made me and take the opportunities and gifts that He's given me for His glory? Am I the person who doesn't think about how I can be made more and more like Jesus each day and each year? The person who doesn't pray and plan to share the news of Jesus with others? The the person who doesn't love their neighbor, who doesn't steward the time and resources and opportunities God has given me for His kingdom? Jesus says to Sardis and to us, If that is you, then you're about to die. And this warning here is a warning of a God who cares, who wants to see his people endure. This is in part how God enables us to endure. He gives us this warning. He warns us of what will happen if we continue down this track. And the warning for Thyatira in chapter 2, their issue is tolerance. Now, tolerance is not normally viewed as a negative word, right? The, the culture around us is, is, is a buzzword. We've got to be tolerant as people. And on the face of it, tolerance is good. I'm all for legal tolerance. I don't want to kind of legislate for my view of the world and then put people in prison who don't view the world the same way as I view it. In many cases, I'm for social tolerance. I don't want people who disagree with me to be discriminated against or made outcasts. I believe in a free society where people have a freedom to believe and practice whatever their beliefs are without interference. And I believe that, first of all, because of what the Bible says about conscience and the importance of us to follow our biblically informed consciences. Paul talks about if something is against our consciences and we do it anyway, we think it's sinful, even if it's not, and we do it, that is sin. Our consciences matter. And as Christians, we we also ought to accept all people. All people are welcome here. We want to accept people in, irrespective of race, of gender, of beliefs, of past actions, of present actions. You just got to look at the life of Jesus and and he hangs out with people from every walk of life, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're social outcasts or whoever they are. Jesus is happy to spend time with them. But the thing that we see with Jesus is he consistently says, you can come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. You can come as you are from whatever background you're from, from whatever you have done, but when you meet Jesus, you will never stay as you are because you see He is the King over all and that His way is right. This is where we get tolerance wrong. We think it means that while everyone is welcome, no one needs to change. That you can just stay as you are. You don't need to be made more like Jesus. You do you. That's great for you. And that's what the world around us says. And we bring it into church and it becomes a massive problem. And here's where we find the issue of Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, if you're looking for a name for a pet, a fish, kind of a cat, a dog, a child, is not a good name. Let me encourage you, Jezebel is not a great name at all. In this passage here, it probably wasn't a real person called Jezebel. It was someone like the Jezebel, a false prophetess, that we meet the real Jezebel in the Old Testament. She's been leading people into idolatry. Uh, now, is, is that 
um, idolatry, you know, just adultery, sexual immorality, or is it actually kind of spiritual adultery? Is she leading the church astray? We don't know either way. It could be a metaphor. It could be legit. Either way, she's leading people away from God, just like Jezebel in the Old Testament did. Now, Jezebel in the Old Testament was the daughter of Ethbaal, who was the king of the Sidonians. She worshipped the Baals and Asherahs. She led her husband Ahab to do the same. Ahab was a Jew. He was supposed to be serving the true and living God. He married a woman from another nation, which he shouldn't have done. She led him to worship false gods, to idolatry, to live for a different God that was a pretend God. She's the one who ended up plotting to kill Naboth for his vineyard just to get more. She was kind of a piece of work. In 2 Kings, 3 verse, sorry, 2 Kings 9 verse 34, write this down. 2 Kings 9 verse 34, check it out later. She's called a cursed woman. That's why you don't want to call your cat Jezebel. She's called a cursed woman. And as a punishment for her wickedness, this is what happens. She's eventually pushed out of a window. She splats on the, on the pavement outside the window. She's then run over and trampled by horses and a cart and then eaten by dogs. That's the way the Bible describes the end of Jezebel's life. She was a bad lady. Bad lady. And she led Israel down a bad, bad path. And Jesus says now to Thyatira, You're allowing someone like that to have sway over this church. Why do you tolerate them? Do not affirm someone coming in and leading people away from the true and living God. Do not dialogue with them. Do not wait to see what happens and let's sit back for a couple of years and see how the people that they're kind of influencing go. Get rid of her. Remove her from the damage that she is making. Jesus isn't saying churches should have a serving position of hitman. You know, Jezebel remover. You know, it's like, I'll sign up for that. What do I get? What training is there? No. But he is saying, do not let the person who is leading people away have influence on Jesus' sheep. Put her outside the church. Warn people against it. Do not allow for this sort of influence and behavior to go unchecked. Now, please hear that it's not the first action here that that someone sees, someone says something that's not true, it's false doctrine, or maybe leading people a little bit skew-if, and the first thing we do is throw them out the window, put them under some horses, and get rid of them, and and kick them out of the church. That's not what happens in the first instance. In fact, that's not even what happens here. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children, her followers, dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. The first port of call is to lovingly and compassionately call out error where we see it amongst us. But Jesus wants us to see here the consequences of unchecked doctrinal difference. So often we say it's okay to have a different view, a different view of God that's a little bit shifted. It's okay that someone's a little bit just more loving and they really love the freedoms that come and they, maybe they're a little bit more free and don't see as many things as, as black and white as we do. That's kind of totally fine. And they reject what the Bible's saying in some areas, and you start to see pictures of, of gender from the world around us creep in. And, you know, we want to we say that, look, just be, if two people love each other, we can't deny them marriage, even if they are from not a, one husband and one wife. 
And we start kind of moving ourselves along and start to think that. The consequences of an unchecked doctrinal difference are death. Death to that person and death to the followers of that person. Because they reject the true and living God and His Word. Doctrinal tolerance, moral tolerance, only ends in death. I've got to ask tonight, where are you flirting with the enemy? Where are you going, oh, I'm just becoming a little bit more like the world. That's kind of okay. I want to understand it a little more. I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be that one that's viewed from society as kind of so black and white and antiquated. I can kind of see some of their points. Where are you living in morally questionable ways? Relationships that you ought not to be engaging in. Things that you ought not to be doing. Where is porn getting mastery on your life? Where are you sleeping around or having um, relationships, whether they're, they're sexual or just emotional, that are really deeper than they ought to be with people that you know you ought not to be doing it with? It only ends in death, says Jesus. As we hold to the truth of the gospel we will become a stench to the world around us. We'll be the modern-day slave trader, intolerant of others, unloving. But friends, the God who made us is the one who died for us and the one who knows what is best. We don't stand on our two feet going, I'm awesome, look at me. We say, look at God, His word is good. His ways are right. And so we say we will not allow our doctrines or our morals to keep to creep closer and closer to that of the society around us. We must not. But the great news is, Jesus says it's not too late. He says this warning so we might correct our course. He reminds us, he knows, and he examines our hearts. That's why he tells us what happens here, and that's why he has this written in a letter to be circulated around the churches. So that we might examine where we're at. We might look at our hearts. I don't know about you, but I do too little heart examination. I don't mean ECGs and kind of fancy x-rays. I too infrequently think about really what's going on. I just get on with life. And kind of just let my heart fester. Don't Don't you? rather than looking at our hearts and our motives and our actions and comparing them to God's heart and motive and action. Not to one another's, but to God. How often are you asking God to mold your life and your heart and your knowledge of Him to be more and more like Jesus? It's not too late. There's still time while we still have breath. So point number three, Jesus calls us to do three things. Jesus calls us. He calls us to do three things. Number one, to be alert. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. Be alert and strengthen what remains which is about to die. He's saying, don't be unaware. Don't be that blissfully unaware Volvo driver who has no idea of what's going on in the world around them because they are in the world's safest car. Don't be that person. We need to sharpen up our understanding of Scripture. Shameless plug right there. 
for sharp and up, great, you should come along. But we need to keep looking at God's Word and letting it mold and shape us. We need to spend time understanding the Scriptures and letting them shape the way we view the world and the way that we view God. We need to come back to and hold on to what we have first been taught. We need to spend time looking deeply at the principles behind what the world around us is saying. Because the world around us throws all sorts of good ideas that we could just lap up and move on with, but if we're not alert, we'll miss, we'll miss out on what's actually going on. Things like the, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's, it's got a great idea of making sure that black people matter. They're made in the image of God. Absolutely, I want to make sure that racism does not exist as much as I am able. But that whole movement has as well tied into what they're trying to achieve that abortion is something they want to fight for. Gender identity and differing genders is at the core of what they're about. You've got to look at what's actually going on. And while you might agree with one part of it, don't get so swept up kind of, you know, so naively to see what's going on because there is more going on than what meets the eye. We need to be alert. We need to know the Word of God. We need to let it shape our lives. Jesus' warning and His call is for us to be alert. But secondly, he calls us to repent. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. That word repent means just to turn the other way, from going the direction you're going, to turn back and to trust Jesus. All too often we, we kind of believe Satan's lie when we see the way that we've acted and he says, oh, it's too much. You've gone too far. Just keep going. Just keep enjoying it. Don't, don't tell anyone. Don't deal with it. Let's just bury it and you can keep pretending on the outside. And inch by inch, he wins us over. Jesus says, remember what you've heard about who I am. The gospel, the news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and ascension. That he has died and paid the price. That we can stand forgiven in him if you trust him. If you're here tonight and you don't yet trust Jesus... It's a great opportunity to see what he is offering, forgiveness for your rebellion against God. Life that lasts forever. Jesus says, turn back to me. I offer you forgiveness that is limitless. Repent. Now that'll mean bringing these issues up with one another, talking about where we struggle so that we might be praying for one another, that we can be open and honest. Satan loves us to keep our sin in the dark. He loves us to, to think that we can't share it with anyone else because they'll look at us and they'll go, you're a sinner. Newsflash, we're all sinners. No, no news here. Jesus sees and knows everything. Don't repent. Sorry, don't pretend. <laughs> Thank you. Repent, don't pretend. There we go. Don't pretend it's all okay. Come to Jesus and repent. Third thing that he says that we, that we need to be called to is to be intolerant. Now, I'm not saying be a kind of aggro tool. You know, there's people that kind of get one idea and they're like, ah, oh, I don't care what you think, and they just bulldoze through. Do not be like that. He's saying be intolerant of false doctrine and be intolerant of willful, deliberate sin. Maybe for you, it's not what you've done, but what you're thinking about doing. The ideas you're thinking about entertaining, the places you're thinking about going, the things you're thinking about looking. Stop. Be intolerant of willful, deliberate sin. Jesus here is not saying, oh, you can't sin at all. He recognizes that we, that we sin. 
Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. No, but as we come to him and repent, then, then we're living this, this Christian life until Jesus returns, waiting for him to make us more like him. But be intolerant of willful, deliberate sin, that position where you say, I know what's wrong and I don't care. You know, when you've just given up, you've had enough, and you're like, ah, stuff, I'm just going to enjoy it, I might as well. Be intolerant of that. And be intolerant of doctrine that leads you astray from the Word of God, of the world creeping in. I can't tell you how many friends of mine that were on fire for Jesus in their 20s and 30s have been hijacked in their faith in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and even 70s. The number of people that were full on for Jesus, that stood beside me going, yeah, we want to see people come to know Him and grow in Him, that now have gone, ah, Can't be bothered anymore. Jesus says, The one who conquers and keeps my works to the end is the one who is victorious. Be alert. Hold on. Keep putting Jesus first. This matters. This is what Jesus is calling us to. The one who aligns their thinking with Jesus on the issues of sexuality and doctrine and does his will to the end, is the one that will endure. Oh, it's so heartbreaking to see people walk away. And Jesus says this firm word to us tonight, so we won't drift away from him. I heard once the famous New Testament professor, Don Carson, one of the best scholars of our age, speak about the number of people he'd seen walk away from Jesus. He's about um, in his late 70s at the moment. He said in all his time as a professor uh, and, and going around the world as one of the kind of um, directors of the Gospel Coalition and chatting to people around this whole globe that God has, he has only come across someone who walked away from Jesus on purely academic grounds once. Every other instance of someone walking away from Jesus had behind it a moral issue or failing with which they wanted to live out a different way and so they rejected what Jesus says. Friends, do not think that will never happen to you. That's not the response Jesus is looking for as he gives us this warning. What he wants you and I to hear tonight is for our own good to turn to one another in conversations and ask one another, you know, where are you most likely to walk away from Jesus? Where are you most likely to compromise on on what His Word says, to to fall in line with what the world around us says? Where am I most likely to tolerate false understandings of God and His Word? We've got to ask that to one another. We've got to care for one another. As As we go to connect groups throughout the week, we've got to be real. We've got to be honest. Don't play pretend. Don't let what the Bible is saying just stay in our heads. Let it be applied to our lives. Ask those that you live with, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your flatmate, your friend. Where do you see me drifting away from Jesus? Share with that person. Ask them, where do you feel like you're drifting away from Jesus? This is what matters. At the end, there will be those who've continued to trust in Jesus and those that have not. And that's the only difference between an eternity in heaven and an eternity in hell. Friends, tonight, hear the warning of Jesus. Run to him and hear his encouragement. It is not too late. In Revelation 3 verse 5, Jesus ends this way. 
He says, in the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never erase his name from the book of life. But I will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. The picture Jesus paints of the one who conquers is the one who keeps trusting in Jesus. And he says they'll be dressed in white robes like Jesus. We will be like him if we endure to the end. As Jesus returns, he will make us like him. And our future is secure. He says, I will never erase his name from the book of life. Now, don't look at that and think, oh, is it possible to have our names erased from the book of life and spend all your time there? No, this is a great comfort. If you stay in Jesus, your name is in the book of life and will be in the book of life, that you will live forever. But then I think there's something here that I've missed for a long time, that just this week I saw. I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. We spend so much of our lives trying to be acknowledged by others. Whether that was our school teachers growing up, our parents, our potential spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, our colleagues, our neighbours, businesses that we want to see us. We spend our lives caring about our reputation and the way the world around us views us and what people think of us. We spend all this energy and effort trying to be acknowledged by others when what is on offer is being acknowledged by the creator of the universe. Our efforts to be acknowledged by others are pathetic, aren't they? When you compare them to the reality of what is on offer. Imagine that day that we come before the true and living God. And rather than hearing the words, get away from me for I never knew you, Jesus stands up and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. This one trusted in me. This one endured to the end. This one I walked alongside and they knew me. And my, my, my life has paid for their death. And the father looks into your eyes and says, welcome home. And we spend an eternity with him. How much better is that than getting your name on the end of a movie in a credit list? Or on a wall in OGGB building where you've donated some funds towards this school. The creator of the universe calls you his child. That's why Jesus warns us. And he says to us tonight, be alert and be awake. Repent, come back to me and be intolerant of false doctrine. And intolerant of willful, sinful disobedience. And I will carry you to the end. Why don't you join with me as we pray and ask God to do exactly that in each and every one of us. Father God, tonight as we hear this word, there's a real sense that it's scary to know that you see and hear and know everything about us. But we are so thankful that you see what goes on. That you will not let evil and injustice reign. And we are so thankful that you've made yourself clear to us by your Spirit and through your Word so that we can stand forgiven before you. Lord God, we admit that for many of us, for all of us, we are tempted in so many ways to put ourselves at the center of our lives, to not live our lives for you, to not seek to be made more and more like Jesus. Please forgive us. Please show us 
where we're being tempted, where we're sliding away from your word and into the view of the world. Please help us to be brothers and sisters as a church that will encourage one another, lovingly, compassionately, carefully. And help us to be people who can stand on that last day trusting in Jesus. Help us to endure, we ask, so that we might live for you. Lord, thanks for the encouragement that there are many more works for us to do. Would you send us out into your world for your glory to live for you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.